everybody. This is Reggie, and you're listening to Reggie's Comic Stories, episode number 11. Uh, this is a show that I do every other Wednesday. You can find it on chrisandreggie.com, alternating with Chris's Chris on Infinite Earths, which you can find at the same place on the Wednesdays that I'm not doing the show. And, of course, pick it up from Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others that I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, today, I want to talk about a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. One of my very favorite comic creators, writers ever to do the thing that is, of course, Arnold Drake, creator of the Doom Patrol and uh, many other fine, strange properties and comics. I think all of you know that by now I'm, I'm a, a fan of the odd stuff in comic books. And uh, yeah, definitely Arnold Drake made some of my favorite things, Stanley and his monster. Uh, he wrote Bob Hope and Jerry Lewis for a long time. Uh, he created the original Guardians of the Galaxy, the weird ones, the four, like, aliens that uh, came together, plus, you know, one of them was a human and three uh, odd aliens, and then, of course, the Doom Patrol. Um, and, you know, I love this guy. Uh, we did do a, an episode on him, a weird comics history episode, really early on uh, in our podcasting life, Chris and myself. And uh, we also, I believe, did a... We, we, did, do, we did do the uh, last issue of Doom Patrol, which was 121. Uh, again, that was very early on because I wanted to cover Arnold Drake early because I like him so much. But this time I'm going to do something else uh, having to do with Arnold Drake. Um, what we talked about in the either, either one of those episodes, Arnold Drake worked for DC Comics pretty much exclusively uh, from about the mid-50s to the late 60s till 66 when he wrote a memo to uh, Murray Boltonoff, who would have been the editor-in-chief and the executives at uh, DC Comics, which I guess probably would have been Jack Leibowitz maybe by then. Uh, he, might, he might have left. Uh, Jack Schiff definitely would have seen it. Uh, Julie Schwartz would have seen this. And um, it was a memo explaining to DC Comics that uh, they were losing market share to Marvel, the upstarts who had uh, debuted Fantastic Four five years before this. Uh, Arnold Drake could see that something, a change was on the wind, but uh, DC Comics brass, which at that point were still outselling Marvel Comics almost three to one, uh, didn't see the point in changing. And it actually, um, that plus a uh, attempt to get healthcare, to unionize in order to get healthcare, uh, led to Arnold Drake being ousted with a whole bunch of people at the same time in the late 60s, uh, and then Dick Giordano. Came in from Charlton Comics, brought in a lot of new blood like uh, Neil Adams, Denny O'Neill. He brought uh, a bunch of different people. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that side of the story. But what I wanted to do, the memo that he wrote to these people is very strange. It uses weird lingo for some reason. Uh, I guess it would have been uh, in keeping. Although, you know, by the, when he wrote that, he was already in his 40s. He had a young daughter. So he writes it very... So I wanted to pick apart is, is my plan here, try to dissect what he was getting at when he wrote this letter to the uh, executives at DC Comics. Um, and hopefully this is something that we'll, we'll enjoy. If you haven't ever heard the memo, this is your chance. I'm going to be reading it and uh, chopping it up as I go along. But a little bit of a biography for the fella himself. Born March 20... Sorry, born March 1st, 1924 in New York City. He graduated from the University of Missouri and later New York University with a journalism degree. Uh, Arnold Drake co-wrote the first graphic novel, that's the 
official Cosmic Treadmill stance that this is the first ever graphic novel. Uh, he wrote it with Leslie Waller, titled It Rhymes with Lust, St. John Publications, 1950. Art by Matt Baker, the uh, king of good girl art and the uh, guy that designed the modern interpretation of Phantom Lady. Uh, they used the pseudonym Leslie Drake to combine their names for no particularly good reason. Uh, you can get this. This was reprinted by, I think it was Dark Horse in like the early 2000s. Uh, not too hard to get if you have a mind to check it out. It's definitely a good piece of uh, comic artifact. Arnold got his first gig in comics through Bob Kane. He wrote The Return of Mr. Future in Batman 98, March 1956 cover date. And then in 1963, editor Murray Boltonoff asked Mar- Arnold Drake to create a team of superheroes to run in the flagging anthology uh, titled My Greatest Adventure. The assignment was given on a Friday due the following Tuesday. Uh, Drake and Bob Haney, who is uh, also kind of like his counterpart in zaniness, uh, hold up all weekend to flesh it all out, but only Arnold Drake and Bruno Premiani got creator credits, which might be just as well because Haney only co-scripted and co-plotted the first issue, which was My Greatest Adventure number 80, June 1963 cover date. Uh, Bob Haney always claimed that he had more to do with this. Arnold Drake said he had less to do. To be honest, uh, I think they had a kind of falling out because when Arnold Drake was pushed out of D.C., Bob Haney did not go with him. Um, There's definitely some kind of a story there. Anyway, Arnold Drake did pass away March 12, 2007, again in New York City, not long after uh, going to a comic convention of some kind. So the, the contents of this letter, uh, apparently this letter, uh, this memo was originally seven pages long. Uh, Alter Ego 17 with a September 2002 cover date was able to reprint five pages of it, um, which is uh, plenty illuminating. That's also an incredible issue for any Doom Patrol Arnold Drake fan because it also has a very long interview uh, conducted by Mark Svensson, transcribed by Christopher Irving. And I'm going to read just a little bit of it right here just to give a little framework for the memo we're going to be chopping up now. Uh, his wife Lillian says, uh, We have some interesting reactions at conventions about the Doom Patrol. One day we were surrounded and one man said to him, You changed my life. Drake says, Several guys have said, You changed my whole approach to comics, so I'm now an artist or writer, and it was the Doom Patrol. There was this one guy who said, You changed my life, and he disappeared. I wanted very much to know how. Did I know your mother when I was much younger, or was it anything like that? But he was gone. Mark Svensson asked, How did the original assignment come to be? What was going through your head? We have to talk about a lot of things, including the weird parallels between the X-Men and the Doom Patrol. Drake said, Somewhere about that time, I had written a seven-page memorandum to Erwin Donenfeld, the publisher, in which I explained why, uh, it was that, why it was that Stan Lee was moving at a rapid rate of success, and DC was standing still. One of the things I said, and it was, we're not reflecting the present generation. What we're doing is writing the stories of our youth, and we're not selling selling to our youth, but to our children. So we've got to get more in touch with what's happening. Uh, the Doom Patrol was precisely that, an attempt to understand how kids were thinking at the time, and kids were not thinking that superheroes are real, because that wasn't what was happening in their world. Um, they knew that there were weaknesses in human beings they saw in their own parents. The superhero was far more of a plastic thing. The Doom Patrol was an attempt to move the superhero into a more real world and say, they've got problems too, you don't live without problems, nobody does. Mark uh, Svensson asks, uh, were you looking at Lee and Kirby's Fantastic Four? 
or any specific Marvel title. And he replies, I have no memory of reading his stuff, but I'm sure I must have. I knew what they were doing. Before that memo, I looked. So we're going to dive into the memo. I just want to say a couple of things about Doom Patrol. If you haven't ever read that Silver Age Doom Patrol, which I think now is being collected in paperbacks, there is an omnibus, and there is a five-volume DC archives if you want to read it. Uh, it's it's weird as hell. Um, a lot of people wouldn't think of the uh, crazy enemies that he had to fight, animal, vegetable, mineral man. They had to deal with people like, oh, uh, you know, the, the Brain and Monsieur Mala, the Brotherhood of Evil, guys like this. But really, the hallmark of it is like uh, Elastigirl gets married during the thing. She marries Mento, and they, they have, like, domestic problems. And there's a whole uh, kind of a, a love triangle with uh, the chief is involved. They adopt a Beast Boy. You know, there's, there's like, a lot of weird intrigue, and there were special, uh, you know, sections. There were, there were special backups that concentrated on each character that were very unlike anything coming out from DC, and frankly, most things coming from Marvel. It was really more of, uh, seemed more like a writing for a television show than it seemed like it was for a comic. Clearly one of my favorite things. So let's jump into the memo as we have it. As I said, it's not complete, but it seems fairly complete, but who knows what the other two pages had. Maybe they were uh, drawings, because Arnold Drake was known to provide uh, drawings for the covers he wanted to do. So he begins... What Marvel was attempting to do began to be apparent about three years ago. They, or rather, he, and of course he's talking about Stan Lee right here, were bringing, quote, sophistication, end quote, to the comics. The anti-hero was lifted from the hardcover books and slick magazines and brought to the kids. The present idiom was applied, not the idea of Bobby Soxers and, quote, swing music, end quote, and Betty Grable, etc. They combined iconoclasm with non-sequiturs and in-jokes and got what we call, parentheses, part of what we call, quote, camp, end quote. They succeeded for two reasons, primarily. First, they were more worth what was happening in the country than we were. And perhaps more important, they aimed their stuff at an age level that had never read comics before in any impressive number. The college level, let's say ages 16 to 19 or 20. Let me jump in here a little bit about camp. Uh, We have a tendency, I think, as people, humans, um, to look back and somehow see the people before us as being primitive. But, uh, you know, especially when we're talking about, you know, the 1960s, which in a geologic sense is not that long ago, uh, you know, these guys, they understood sarcasm very well. Uh, the Batman 66 show is a great example of camp, and Bill Dozier and all the people involved with that were quite aware that what they were showing was campy and silly. They had no intention of putting on a serious comic book television show, um, so, you know, this is, he's, he's bringing that up. I, you know, funnily enough, the, uh, a lot of the, you know, Lois Lane and Superman and the Silver Age books like that are quite campy, but they're not intentionally campy. And I think that's what Arnold Drake is saying here is that to do something with intent, to do something more along the lines of, uh, what would be Rowan and Martin's laughing rather than just be goofy as hell and like, you know, People, kids can still get stoned and laugh at it, but not for the right reasons and not in any kind of sustainable way where they will will want to read connected issues. So Arnold Drake continues, uh, The second fact is important in view of the fewer titles that Marvel publishes. Uh, Remember now that uh, Marvel at this time, their distributor was owned by National 
uh, Periodicals, which is the parent company of DC at the time, and uh, not out of any spite, but just because it didn't make sense for the distributor to be competing with its own titles, they uh, limited Marvel to, I think it was eight at first, uh, to the comic books per uh, month, and th- that increased over time as their popularity increased, and you know they just wanted to sell put whatever sold the most out on the stands. They didn't really give a care, I think, that it was DC or Marvel, quite frankly. Uh, so anyway, they say in, in view of the fewer titles that Marvel publishes, they could afford to aim all, uh, quote, uh, parentheses, with the exception of the romance books and the westerns, which, by the way, are now, quote, swinging, end quote, or beginning to, quote, swing, end quote, also, end parentheses, of their titles at his this age level and pull an equal number of readers from lower age groups happy to tag along. If Marvel had the number of titles that we have, they could not use this approach across the board. Parentheses, I believe, if Marvel continues to add titles and finds it wise to begin aiming at the 12 to 10, 10 to 8, and 8 to 5 market, they will not apply the same orientation to these books as Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, etc., and parentheses. Which, uh, you know, is... is Pretty obvious, as you you know, aim for other demographics, you would change the content of your comics. Uh, but it's funny what he's saying here. He's talking about the the how the romance books and the westerns don't have the same tenor, but they're beginning to over at Marvel. Uh, it shows kind of how I think these publishers split up their their lines. You know, uh, over at DC, they had uh, you know their big superheroes: uh, Superman, Batman, Flash, Justice League. You know the deal. But they also had so many other comics, like I you know. Bunch of stuff for kids, Funny Animals, Sugar and Spike. Um, what was the other one I mentioned? Stanley and His Monster, Fox and Crow, which actually was what Stanley and His Monster came out of. Uh, it's tough to look at a time that, that not only was comics not uh, all superheroes, it wasn't even mostly superheroes. Superheroes were kind of the outlier. They were really gaining their popularity right now as this memo's being written. So, you know, I think he's talking to DC about how you've got to make these books swing. And they're, first of all, wondering, what the hell do you mean by swing, uh, buddy? Talk like, why are you talking like a uh, jazz man? But also, um, why rock the boat? You know, they're selling just fine. Uh, why do we care about appealing to an older audience? You know, the old, the old uh, uh, adage in comics was that kids read comics from, what was it, five to eight? And as a matter of fact, there were a couple of comics publishers, Gold Key, I believe, for their non-Disney titles, they used to uh, just rerun, just just every three years, just keep rerunning the same things, assuming that a new generation of comics readers would pick them up. Anyway, Arnold Drake continues, the idea that all our books should swing like Marvel is erroneous. Superman and most of the Superman family is and should remain aimed at the lower age levels, 5 to 10. Books like Batman and the Flash should be picking up the kids at age 9 or 10 and carrying them forward to 12 or 13. Beginning about age 14 and carrying them right on up to college level should be books like Metal Men, Doom Patrol, Challengers, Metamorpho, etc. Parentheses, adult concepts, adult language, a little cheesecake, a little idol breaking, a little, quote, think, end quote, stuff now and then, plus the grotesqueries and the much, much bigger than life villains, etc. So if you've read any of these books... It's arguable. These are not, they don't seem like Marvel books. Uh, Metal, these are some of my favorite books. Metal Man is great. Doom Patrol, you know, I love it. Challengers, I'm not so big on. Metamorpho, one of my very favorite things, because it's ludicrous. It's just like, Metamorpho is like a hero. You couldn't decide what he wanted to wear that day, you know? I, I just, the, uh, the very idea of him, I, I've always loved it, but 
I think that Drake was a little off the mark of what the older generation really wanted to see, although maybe not. You know, maybe he knew that uh, uh, major, you know, drug abuse was around the corner and they would love these books like that. He continues, there is lots of room for disagreement as to precisely which titles belong in which age groups, but that essential notion should be accepted in each book age slotted in an editor's mind. There is much to recommend restricting each editor to books within one age level. More than one editor would be handling the same level, but no editor would handle more than one, if practical. So what he's saying here is that instead of, and this is still the way DC and I think Marvel, maybe not, uh, DC essentially has like a Superman office and then a Batman office, and those editorial groups they handle. You know, the Superman guys would be Superman, Supergirl. Oh, I don't know. You know, a crypto book action is obviously in there, uh, and then they split it up really by character, and those characters have an umbrella beneath them editorially. Um, and uh, you know, it's not doesn't really work that great because. Uh, heaven forfend, you want to use Mongol in a Green Lantern book, you got to ask the Superman guys, and they might have him, you know, whatever, uh, farming out in the uh, Vega system or something. So it, it gets a little dicey, but he's suggesting here, it kind of makes more sense, split them up by age group, you know what I mean? Uh, and so, you know, Superman and the guy handling Superman might handle Superman and funny stuff and sugar and spike, anything aimed towards that five-year-old age group. Um, I know that these offices, for sure, DC, and I think Marvel also has a, you know, uh, dedicated people to the bookstore stuff that's aimed towards young readers, but uh, that's not how they set up their comics at all, uh, and in fact, all of their comics, well, actually, that's not true, they have Scooby-Doo and stuff like that, but uh, all of these superhero comics, they're all rated teen plus, and then they have even ones now that are for mature readers only, which is fine, I think that's, I think that's a... There's nothing wrong with that, but it all sort of comes out in the same uh, milieu, and it's uh, it's confusing to know which which is what, and editorial striation could possibly help that. Uh, Arnold even throws a sidelight in here. He says in parentheses, sidelight, I believe when Schwartz edited the science fiction stuff, it was slotted almost exclusively in the upper age groups. At least the concepts he touched on were quite, quite complicated for young minds. When Schiff took them over, he lowered that level and probably did not hurt sales any. But one book in the sci-fi mystery area might well be aimed at the upper age group. One should swing. End parentheses. I mean, this word swing, if I was Murray Boltonoff, I probably would have stopped reading by now. I'd be like, define swing, jerk, and send it back to him. Um, but you see what he's saying. That, you know, they had kind of gone down this path, but then start really beginning in the mid-60s when Schwartz, Schwartz moved on to, uh, I think he did Batman first. He eventually moved on to Superman. That was his, like, pride and joy in the early 70s. Um, yeah, they kind of dumped it down. I mean, <laughs> Green Lantern and Flash got so goofy, and uh, people, some people don't really know how incredibly silly it got. They had... Oh, there were all these different characters. There was like an excuse, a, a a gremlin sort of that like caused Barry Allen to have his accident. His name was Mopey, and uh, Green Lantern had a little alien friend for a couple issues. Itty bitty, a little starfish. It was it was all very silly stuff. But frankly, it was very much in keeping with the kind of thing you'd read in you know Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, or even Batman at the time. Batman was you know the Batman show from '66 really does mirror the comics from about the 50s to the 60s pretty well. 
as far as how campy they are and how everything is labeled. Like, that's all taken right out of the comics. Anyway, let's continue with Arnold Drake. He says it was earlier stated that Superman is and should be aimed at its proper market, 5 to 10. Yet despite this, I would be surprised to learn that the Superman family is selling well, or had been for any length of time during the past five years. The reason for this is that while the nature of Superman's character, parentheses, simplicity itself, brute strength, astounding speed, near invulnerability, and parentheses, makes him a child's hero, the nature of Superman books has grown more and more complicated and convoluted. Character was piled upon character, power upon power, relationship upon relationship until it became truly impossible for the writers, the artists, and the colorers to remember one from another. Parentheses, the colorers keep a terribly complicated chart for the Superman books. Jerry Siegel constructed an enormous diagram which he pasted to the wall above his typewriter, etc. And parentheses. Um, and this makes me think of color guides. If you guys have ever seen uh, comic book coloring guides, they're awesome. They just tell you what colors these main characters need to have. Uh, and it's like bands of color, be like chest you know, underwear, boots, whatever. Um, but yeah, then he's saying, it's funny because he's saying here in 66 that the Superman book has gotten too complicated. It, it really hadn't. I mean, it would get much crazier in the Bronze Age and, I mean, forget it, modern modern Superman books, it's uh, virtually impenetrable for a new reader, except that Superman's pretty iconic, so you can kind of jump in and figure it out. But uh, yeah, I mean, if he's talking about this is a time when books were a lot simpler. Even the ones that Stan Lee uh, was writing over at Marvel, um, they were still way simpler than most of the stories we see today. They were more or less, you know, oh, I don't know, somebody loves a girl, she gets picked up by the uh, Dr. Octopus, and uh, he's got to go fight, he loses, then go back and fight, he wins, and save the day. Anyway, um... Arnold continues, now the these are the books which are supposed to be aimed at the five-year-old market, parentheses, and up, and parentheses, and they are aimed at five-year-olds, true, but a terribly complicated involves cerebral five-year-olds, of which there are only three in the whole country, and uh, parentheses, there used to be four, but my daughter graduated, very good, and parentheses, uh, if you say so. Uh, you know, maybe it maybe those were too complicated for five year olds. I remember reading Superman comics when I was like five, six, I guess, maybe six or seven, and uh, I got the idea. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe you can't read every word, but as long as Superman is seen throwing a truck and uh, snubbing Lois, you get the idea. Uh, back to Drake. I believe Superman should return to the basics that made it sell. Stories should be simplified. Powers should be stressed. Parentheses, bigger panels and parentheses, and wordiness eliminated. Again, parentheses, this children's book has more words per balloon than almost any of our other mags. And parentheses. I believe that Jimmy Olsen, the mag, should be aimed at the high end of the 5 to 10 group and perhaps beyond it. The fact that he's a teen character gives him a shot at the older age groups. True, this has already been tried. Jimmy has been involved with rock and roll groups, teen Honda gangs, etc. And all those issues... Are awesome. Now you really got to think about this. You know, Arnold Drake is forty-four. The guys he's writing to are like coming up on sixty, and you know they're still trying to crank out these meaningful books for children, uh, and they're aiming for grade school children. And it's it's that's why a lot of it is ridiculous. That's why the the language doesn't work. Uh, to Stanley's credit, he never tried to adopt the groovy lingo of the sixties. Kind of use his own uh, highfalutin alliterative language and. 
uh, it resonated with with people because it was just easy to read. You didn't need it didn't sound phony, uh, despite being very uh, florid and and uh, uh, embellished. I guess you could say. Um, again, though, here he's saying stories should be simplified. How many times have we heard that clarion call for comics? They got to be simplified, and it just seems impossible to do. They just end up adding more and more characters to the mix and making things more and more complicated. Back to Drake, but Jimmy Olsen's character and dialogue on his own book is almost undistinguishable, that's what he wrote, from the character and dialogue in the Superman book. He could swing moderately, but he doesn't. What the whole Superman line perhaps is suffering from is the fact that the editor is also, in a matter of speaking, a Superman reader. He's been reading that same character for 25 years. He is tired of the character, understandably, and so he institutes complications and changes for the sake of complications and changes. But the readership of Superman changes totally about every five years. The new readers do not come into a new simple set of characters, which they can then watch grow and become interwoven and expanded. They enter a terribly involved world that many of them probably run right out of because of confusion and boredom. In short, shouldn't we take a leaf from the old book, the original Superman, and just sharpen it up for today's hipper? Five to ten year olds, <laughs> Hipper. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is something you can read about today. Uh, things that people they want to do, and it is interesting. Murray Boltonoff liked to uh, come up with stories for Superman where he would have to solve problems without using his powers, which was probably uh, to entertain himself, but also to I think to make the story more interesting. You know, uh, Superman could. Fix a lot of problems by with his super speed and his super strength, but it uh, it says something when he tries to go use his uh, brain, or as we learn later, his super brain, which is a little stupid. Uh, and that's all we have for that. I, I would love to have known how this whole thing ended, but we do get Arnold Drake's point, and it's it's a important point that DC ignored. Uh, two years after this letter. Marvel would overtake DC in sales and pretty much never, ever stop being on top with a couple of little strange hiccups here and there, uh, including that period where Marvel was distributed by Heroes World and were no longer uh, on the diamond distribution lists or whatever. Suddenly it looks like they weren't selling comics, but they were. They were selling them. They just weren't being uh, compiled on that particular statistic. Um, Yeah, so... I think that Earl Drake had some good points here. Uh, I think he could have used some better language than to say these books swing. Like, that really doesn't mean anything. Uh, you know, I knowing what Stanley was doing, yeah, you see what he's saying. I, I think what he's actually saying is he wants them to be more grounded in reality. Uh, you know, Superman never thinks about where he lives. Lois Lane lives in a penthouse apartment. Um, at the same time, though, and uh, this is, you know, not a, not the way competitive business works, but uh, that's the difference. That's the DC difference. You know what I mean? Uh, DC are going to give you heroes without the without as many complications. Marvel are going to give you heroes, but they're going to be conflicted. Uh, and Marvel did have anti-heroes first. You know, uh, I mean, what's funny is over the years, uh, Marvel has taken some steps to be more like DC. DC has taken many more steps to be more like Marvel, so that really, uh, at the end of the day, uh, even though fans like myself would disagree, it they're virtually indistinguishable. You know, to the average, you know, you put 
to comics in front of a brand new comic reader from Marvel and DC, and they won't know that you've given them two companies' products, I guarantee it, and they are virtually uh, identical in what they do visually and, you know, story-wise, and as far as dragging things out and... and, uh, but they, I'll say they are all appealing to that older audience. I think the audience now is probably more around 30 to 50, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, this is uh, the out, outgrowth of that. It makes me wonder sometimes, what if, you know, to, to borrow from Marvel once again, what if Murray Boltonoff, what if Erwin Donenfeld had taken this memo seriously and said, all right, let's restructure things, let's look at things, you know, uh, and make some changes, how would that have looked? You know, would JLA have become a title aimed at older people, or would that have remained a children's title? And it would have given, you know, it would have meant that there would be a whole different uh, bunch of heroes and characters representing DC um, beyond the standard bearers that we know, the, you know, Green Lantern, Flash, Batman, Superman, uh, et cetera, Wonder Woman, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's just one of these, you know, what might have been, would uh, Doom Patrol have continued on? Uh, Doom Patrol did end two years later, uh, number 121, uh, October 1968, cover date. Famously, they die at the end. Uh, we covered it in our show. Other shows have covered it. So, uh, you know, you can definitely learn more about that issue. But uh, in that issue, the creators, it was, it was Bruno Primiani and Murray Boltonoff, the editor, Beseech the reader, and they actually drew, you know, Permiani drew them, both of them in to uh, write in if you want them to maintain the comic, to uh, basically do a write-in campaign. Uh, Murray Boltonoff was originally Arnold Drake, but he was changed because he was essentially fired in between the writing of that comic and its publishing. So uh, there exists in the world the original Arnold Drake face version. I've seen it online, so if you want to see that, you can. But, uh... You're going to do it for me this week, folks. Uh, as I've been whining about for a long time, I am in the middle of a big move, and this week in particular is a uh, major component is coming into place. But I'm glad to talk a little bit about Arnold Drake, uh, my you know probably my top favorite creator, definitely one of my most favorite creators, and uh, just see his take on the comics landscape at the time. Um, you know, this, there's this belief that Marvel came and took everyone by total surprise. No one could have possibly guessed that a, a man with powers of a spider would become so popular. But obviously that's baloney. Uh, Arnold Drake saw that something was happening. And I have a feeling that the folks over at Marvel were very aware that something interesting was happening. It was just the executives of DC that I were just sort of blind to it and, uh, didn't see any point in rocking the boat since they were already the biggest sales on the newsstand. So I'd love to know what uh, you guys think of this and uh, what your feelings are, what might have been, how DC might look today if they did split up their editorial uh, staff into uh, groupings by age. Um, would you think we'd be reading any Superman comics as adults? you think we would have moved totally onto adult things like, oh, I don't know, Checkmate and Vigilante or whatever? Is there a place for a title like the Teen Titans uh, in this kind of structure? So it, it, let me know what you think. Uh, write to me at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Or, of course, hit me up on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. 
the site is on Twitter and Instagram at Cosmic T Mill. Uh, Chris is on Twitter at Ace Comics. We do have a Patreon if you want to uh, support us, you like what we do, and you want to get three exclusive shows a month, as well as our undying gratitude, please head on over to patreon.com slash Chris and Reggie. Uh, sniff around a little and then chip in five bucks if you're so inclined. We would very much appreciate it. Of course, our show site is chrisandreggie.com. Chris's site is chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. He's got daily updates on uh, Action Comics Weekly right now, and I think that covers everything. There's also the 80stees.com banner. You can click that, chrisandreggie.com, if you uh, are feeling uh, cold up top. You want to cover your nips, that's the place to do it. But I'm going to sign off right now, folks. I want to thank you all for listening, and uh, let me know what you think about Arnold Drake. And uh, until next time, we'll keep the story straight. Sing, 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 sing. Everybody starts to sing. Hardy, hi, ha, ha. Now she's singing with a swing. Sing, 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 sing. Everybody sure must sing. Hardy, hardy, hi, ho, ho. Now she's singing with a swing. When the music goes around